When you have people in your life that you love and you care about, one of the most important things you can do is take steps today to help prepare your estate for that time when you will no longer be able to make decisions for yourself or when you pass. My guest here today is Mary Glenn. Mary is an estate planning attorney who has been helping families make those preparations since 2008. And we're very lucky to have her as a guest and also to have her as a member of Hargrave Family Law. And she's here today to talk with us about the essential things you must do to help prepare your family for that time that will come eventually. <laughs> it's inevitable. Mary, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. So when you and I first sat down to talk, um, you know, I want to, I want you to share, tell us how you started to do uh, estate planning. Oh, well, so I started my law career in mostly real estate, um, working with a lot of title companies. Um, and so I was reading a lot of wills because you do that when, when property is, is, exchanging hands. There's a lot of wills to be read. Um, and I always enjoyed it. And then uh, there was a, a time when I had a change in, in my path and I had my first kiddo. Um, and I decided, oh, well, we need that. And my husband's an attorney too, but you know, we thought, oh yeah, we need to have a will. So I wrote our will. Um, it's funny, it's still the same will that we have today. <laughs> um, and then uh, I started thinking, well, other people need this too. And friends reached out and they thought, well, I need that too. Everybody I knew was having a baby. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's an important thing to have, especially with kids. It really is, and I think it's easy for people to put it off because it can feel a little overwhelming. And so one of our goals today is to break down the process and really help people understand what are the documents that they need to have in place and what are the decisions that need to be made when preparing those documents. So let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about what happens when you don't have any documents in place, when you don't have a will or powers of attorney. Sure, sure. So obviously many people don't have a will. Um, and I mean, that is a thing that happens. Um, Texas has laws in place to take care of those people. Um, so if you die without having a will, you know, your unique circumstances and, you know, your family uh, dynamics are not taken into account. Um, the Texas legislature has come up with a plan for you. <laughs> so, um, and sometimes that's fine. I mean, if you have, you know, just a very tiny little estate and a tiny little family, you know, you have maybe a well, one child and, you know, or, some, or one husband or wife, um, that can be okay. But for the most part, we all have have, um, you know, a myriad of people in our lives. Um, we have, sometimes you have blended families. Um, the Texas legislature just really has it very simply laid out. Um, and so uh, it's, it's, it doesn't take into account any of your complications of your real life. And um, really in the estate planning process is a time to um, also clarify values. And so whatever values, whatever, whatever, maybe, you know, um, charitable organizations you wanted to help, sure. you know, provide sure. assets for, like none of that gets taken into consideration. No. And, <laughs> and, and certainly too, if you are not married, um, or if you're just cohabitating, you know, it's, mm. you can't leave, you know, the Texas legislature, the state laws are not going to cover that situation. Um, so basically, you know, it just kind of 
the way that the intestacy laws work is it flows through your just your normal family tree. So if you're single, it goes to your parents and then to your siblings, nieces and nephews. It kind of flows that direction. If you don't have those kinds of people, um, it keeps trickling down into you know far away relatives. Um, certainly, just not maybe your friends or your charities or um, anybody else that you would want to consider leaving your your assets and your estate too. So when we, in that you just use the word intestacy and that's what applies, the laws of intestacy are what apply when somebody dies without a will. Right. And so with a will um, as being one of the, probably one of the most basic estate planning um, documents, what what is the purpose of the will and what does that help accomplish? So the purpose of your will is certainly just to, to dispose of your probate assets upon your death um, and you know, it, you can list out your specific beneficiaries. Um, certainly most people would say that they're going to their, their spouses or their children, but you can add in all sorts of things. Um, you can do your uh, estate, you can divide things evenly. You can divide things unevenly. Maybe you have a kid with special needs. They need something extra. Um, and then you also decide who your fiduciaries are. So all of the people that you want to be actually managing your estate. Um, if you don't do that, I mean, who knows who's going to step up and start messing with your stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> um, in your will, you can say who you want to be your executor, which is the person who manages your estate uh, upon your death. Um, and then if you have minor children, um, you can list people in your will. Uh, that you want to be your guardian of your children, um, which is certainly important. Um, and you can have alternates to all of these people and stuff, but it, it's just, it's important to make sure that your wishes are known and that you've written them down. Yeah. Now I do know because we do predominantly a lot of divorce work and a lot of custody work. And so one of the questions people will have is how do I make sure my spouse doesn't get my children or the, the parent, the other parent of the children doesn't um, get the children, uh, get our children in death. And you, you can't X out a parent. Right. You in, can't X out a, a parent. Um, but, you know, I would say a lot of people are concerned with, you know, the new, the new spouse too, right? And the new spouse's family and that kind of thing, if there is one or if yeah. there is one in the future. Um, so, yeah, it's important to list out those people that you want to be as alternatives. Um, certainly, if you are, you know, you have a kid with a, a spouse, that person is going to be the first person in line mm -hmm. as a guardian, but what if something happens to them? Mm -hmm. Or, and you know, maybe they're not even gone, like they're not dead, but they're disabled or they're out of the country or there's something that, you know, makes it necessary to have somebody else in line. Yeah, and so appointing guardians is something that's really, really important for right. those minor children. Yes. Um, now, in as part of that will, you can also establish something called a testamentary trust, correct? Correct. And so what, how does that work? <laughs> so um, you can also put in a trust in any will that, uh, you know, that protects your beneficiaries. So say you have a minor child, you've got this guardian set up for them, and that person is taking care of them, you know, tucking them in at night, uh, physically taking care of them. But you can also have a trustee established um, and a trust established for that beneficiary to manage the assets. Because um, most people don't want their assets, you know, handed over to a minor. I mean, it's not even really allowed. Um, but you can also make that trust even go longer than minority. Like, 
instead of 18, the trust could go all the way to, you know, 30 or so, so that you have a trustee in place managing the assets for your, uh, your children until they're at the age that you decide they are ready to do it themselves. And so a lot of people will have life insurance policies that will pay into that trust sure. or whatever other assets are owned. Right. And that really allows you to ensure that the money is managed by somebody who's good at managing money right. <laughs> um, and can kind of see the child through their early adulthood, through college or and it's yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, it's not always the same person that's the guardian and the trustee. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, aunt. Mindy is really good at taking care of kids, um, and you know Uncle John is the guy that's good with the money. Yeah. You know, so um, you can designate all those people and put everybody in their right position that's to exactly. you know help your family the best way that that you think is right. What advice do you give when talking to people about who they should select as a guardian and as a trustee? So if you do, I mean, a lot of people are not so lucky that they don't have a million people to choose from. Um, my, I'm like that. My family, we've got my brother, and that's it. <laughs> so if you if you if you if you have just one person, you know they can do both jobs as guardian, and they can also be the trustee. Um, if you have multiple people, I mean, it's it's just your own personal choice. You want to make sure that you know you, you they are stepping into your shoes. So you want that person who's the guardian to be, you know parenting the way that you would parent or hopefully you know close to what you would parent mm -hmm. like and then same thing for the trustee you want to pick somebody that is going to you know manage your assets the way that you want them to or the, the way that you would have um you know because you know the trustee has a pretty broad scope they can or you know for the most part i would advise that you give them you know a lot of leeway on how to manage your finances um, they can invest, they can sell things, they can buy things, they can do what they need to do um, with your assets. And you want them to be doing the things that you probably would have done. Right. Um, and so, you know, and there, it's all for the beneficiary of the beneficiary. <laughs> I mean, it's all for the benefit of the beneficiary. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, the trustee doesn't get anything out of it. And that's another thing that people ask about, you know, is if, if they're going to somehow be paid for, you know, doing all this. That's not something that we need to worry about. They're doing everything for the benefit of the beneficiary. And of course, um, it's a good thing to have conversations with the people that you're designating as guardian and or trustee ahead of time. For sure. Um, because it's not something, just because they're named in a document doesn't mean that they have to accept those responsibilities, right? Right, right. It's not like, you know, the states myself, but it's the baby boom with Diane Keaton. Um, you know, nobody just gets handed a baby at an airport. Right. You know? <laughs> That's not what happens. Um, so, yeah, you want to talk to people, make sure that this is the right choice. And then I've had people come back. You know, sometimes things change, mm -hmm. you know. So you might say, this is the person, you know, now, but, you know, maybe later it's not the right person. Or you have a sibling that, you know, was younger. Mm -hmm. And now they're older and you're, you're impressed with how they are, they are as an adult <laughs> and you want to make them your, your person. Right. So. And one of the things that's always been sort of important for us when um, taking into consideration who we appoint is, you know, geography, where are they living, where are they residing? For sure. People you know? always worry about that. It, I mean, I guess in, we most, most of us think that it's, it's best if they're local. Um, but, you know, I mean, kids are resilient. So if something happens, you know, and you, the best person for the job is out of state, like we can figure that out and, you know, they can move or, you know, if they have to, um, 
you know, the fiduciary can even move. So right. you never know. No, there are lots of transitions. And the important thing is that these decisions were thought through ahead of time right. by you. And I, I know that um, it can make such a difference when we recently went through the loss of my mom you know, she had everything done. And so all of her powers of attorney were done. The will was done. Um, the, you know, the plans for what to do with the body and the funeral and all of, all of those arrangements were made. And that was such a relief to not be having in the moment of grief to be dealing with all of those things. For sure. Um, and I mean, certainly when you have a situation where you have an older person in a, you know, and you have some kind of disease, there's usually time to figure that stuff out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, but you know, when you're younger, you don't. And I think a lot of people think, well, this is, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have enough stuff or <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not an adult yet, really, you know, yeah. um, it's, but it's, you know, get it done, get it taken care of. And then it's, you know, you can rest easy. Exactly. Um, and I want to, I want to shift a little bit and talk about, you know, I mean, death is one situation, but in other situations when you're incapacitated. Right. And we get to talk about fun stuff. <laughs> fun stuff. <laughs> and so there are some legal documents you can have in place that again, can make it so much easier for your loved ones to be able to help take care of you and take care of your assets. So let's, let's talk about what those documents are. Sure. So, um, yes. So your will, is great um, and it works when you die right. um, and when it's probated. Uh, so that, that, you know, that's one scenario. It's really not gonna be that helpful if you are still alive um, and maybe you're disabled or you're in a coma or you know, some kind of catastrophe has happened. Um, so we've got all sorts of documents that cover you for that um, power of attorney is um, an important document where you uh, designate your agent to make financial decisions for you. Um, and so, you know, in most cases you think, oh, well, people are just gonna do that for me or my, even my spouse yeah. is, is, they're just next in line, not necessarily. Um, you know, in the world we live in, you know, there's a lot of privacy and protection. Um, and so, you, you know, not necessarily your spouse walks into your bank and is able to just get into your accounts. Um, so it's important just to have uh, people listed like your spouse or your friend or whoever you want to have your, your agent be um, to be able to manage things. And for the power of attorney, um, you don't even have to be disabled or incapacitated necessarily. You can make it so that it just works if you know you're out of town or right. you're out of the country or you're unable to do something, you know, um, you can you can designate someone. And even with the power of attorney, that, that person, depending on the rights and duties that are elected, they can be authorized to do real estate transactions on your behalf. Right, we can make them specific, but usually when we're doing estate planning, we make them pretty broad so that they'll come into play if you need them. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, you can, you can make all sorts of different decisions about and what your agent can do. I want to go back and talk about because when you don't have that durable general power of attorney in place, what happens if you are incapacitated and you're not able to make a decision, then that means the bank can't, like nobody can just go in and start paying bills on your behalf. Right. So those bills go unpaid. Right. They go unpaid or someone else is having to pay them and, you know, that's Out a of their huge pocket. burden a huge for them. Burden. Yeah. yeah. And the, the option is to have a, a guardianship, which is done through the probate court, but it's very expensive and very complicated. And time consuming. 
Um, it can take for a long time. There's a huge process with, you know, investigation and um, ad litem attorneys and all sorts of people get involved, um, you know, because that's not something that's taken lightly to appoint a guardian for an adult. Right. Um, so, yeah, you don't want to you want to avoid that. This is, you know, easy paperwork that you just think through a little bit beforehand. Yeah. And you just need to think, who is the person who I would want going to the bank or going mm -hmm. to the storage unit? <laughs> who is my person? Who is my person who's yeah. going to be able to do that? And, you know, who's my alternate person? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You right. can put a couple people in there. Absolutely. So that's that's the general power of attorney, deals with property. Right. What's the next power of attorney? So the next, um, all the rest of the documents really do deal more with incapacity. Um, so say you're in a situation where you really are unable to make decisions for yourself, um, and we're talking about your health. Um, so we've got a medical power of attorney, and that is where you appoint an agent to make medical decisions for you. Um, so certainly if you are in a hospital and you are able to, you know, wiggle your finger or blink your eye, you know, to be able to make a decision for yourself, you're making your own decisions. Um, it's, you know, they... Doctors want you to make your own decisions. Right. Um, but if you are unable to, you can appoint this person um, and alternates to help make decisions. So that would be like treatment decisions, um, things like that. Um, and then there's also a directive to physicians, which is a different document. Sometimes it's called a living will, which I think is confusing to people sometimes because right. um, it's not really something that disposes of your assets like a will does. But a living will or an advanced directive says to your physicians how you want to be treated if you are in an end of life decision making situation. So if you are in a terminal condition or an irreversible condition, um, you're completely out of it, unable to make decisions. That's a document where you can designate, hey, I want to be, you know, given all available life-sustaining treatment, or you can say, hey, I, I just want comfort treatment only. Yeah. So there's those two documents kind of cover, um, in, you know, if you're incapacitated. Um, Do you find that people struggle with that? I, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. The, so the medical power of attorney is a little easier because it's just like, hey, this, this person's making decisions for me. Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not fine at the moment, but I'm going to be fine. Um, the directive is a little, it's weird. It's, it's, it's a hard document to, to think mm -hmm. about because you are in a situation where you're thinking about where you, how you want to be treated. Um, and then also how you want your family to have to make decisions like that. And these are, these are cases that we'll see in the news from time to time when somebody didn't do the advanced directive and, you know, their families are fight their families are not in agreement on how much life-sustaining treatment should be given. Right. And so it, you, you can have real battles between. Certainly. And unfortunately, I mean, in practice, it's, it's, there's a lot of people involved and it, it should be that way really, because, you know, it's a life. Um, but, you know, so you've got doctors involved, you've got the hospital involved, um, and then relatives. So to me, the very best thing about the directive is that it's just like this, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's kind of this love letter to your relatives because at the end of the day, they're there making those decisions, right? They're, they're there having to like be, mm -hmm. you know, awake and watching this, this situation happen. Um, and they can go back to this piece of paper and say, oh my gosh, mom or dad really thought about this. They thought about it so much that they wrote it down mm -hmm. and they signed it. And, you know, that 
really can help like make people feel better about a terrible situation. Right. And, I, you know, I, I, as I've thought about this, it's sort of evolved over time. And I imagine for, for many people it does as well. You know, when you have young children, the worst thing I could think of was being apart from them. And, you know, even if I were in a vegetative state, you know, I, I remember thinking that at least I would still, you know, maybe see them grow up. Not paying attention to the burden that that would create on the family to just have mom in a vegetative state, right. not responsive, um, you know. And mom and, like upstairs in the bed. Right. Yeah. Uh, versus really when we walked through the end of life decisions with my mom, knowing that keeping her alive was just for our own benefit was merciless. You know, like there was a time as her body was kind of winding down with the cancer, it was just time for her to go. And so not having resuscitative treatments made all that, you know, made sense. And yeah. so I think, you know, kind of walking that walk and having somebody to talk through those different options with and at different phases in life is a good, is a good thing. Well, and you mentioned it earlier, it's important to talk about all this stuff with your family members. I mean, with the will, with any of these documents, I mean, it's not the most fun conversation and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, beat it to death. I guess that's, that's the wrong thing to say, but, you know, don't bring it up all the time, but you can occasionally be like, hey, just, you know, I, I just finished these documents. Yeah. Here's where they're located just in case, you yeah. know, and here's what, here's what, you know, I, I did because less, there's less complications in the future if you're more open about it. Um, and if relatives are kept in the dark about, you know, who's in charge and who's doing this and yeah. how things are going to go. Um, it usually leads to more conflict. So it's better to just talk about what you've decided and what you're going to do, how you want things to go. I mean, even with um, funeral plans, right? You know, you, do you want to be cremated? Do you want a, right. a, do you want a big, huge party? Do you not? You know, yeah. all those things are things people just don't know. Yeah. And then it sucks to have to make those decisions, you know, in the traumatic time. It right? really does because grief is oh, is in and of itself overwhelming. Right. And it is very difficult to make those decisions. And it's it so much like, better if it's just laid oh, out. It's so much better. You're like, oh yeah, I remember we had that conversation and mm -hmm. oh yeah, here's all the stuff that I need. Yeah. And really, really the more the more conversations you have about it, I think the more we can normalize those conversations, the better it is for people. And, um, you know, I know I, when you were saying that, I was thinking every time my parents would go out of town, my mom would always say, okay, here's the file, honey, if anything happens <laughs> right. to us. And, you know, like, I mean, 999 times we didn't, never needed that. But then when it came time, I knew where the file was because we'd gone over it before. Right. And so that wasn't a shocker. It was a very normal part of the conversations we were having. Yep. And so I think if we can encourage people to have those normal conversations, then it makes end of life a very different experience. Right. We're not getting out of it. We're not getting out of it. I know. <laughs> we were we were just talking about um, uh, the the documentary on Netflix called Stutz, and you know he says there are there are three things that that life is made up of: it's pain, uncertainty, and constant work. And you know that is it's just part of the normal thing, and we can embrace that and go, oh yeah, all right. Well, you know the planning I can put in place for the times of uncertainty will Sorry. make those times of uncertainty more manageable and the planning is not it's funny it's not even really for you right it's not it's it's your plan but it's not for you 
it's to take care of those people that you love and make it easy for them. That's exactly right. So there, there are some touch points in life, I think, when it's really good to come back and visit the estate planning process. What, what are those points? When so really like think? I said before, um, you know, when you have a baby, that's a good one. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes I have people call me even before they're going to have a baby. And I think, wow, those people really have their act together. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then, you know, once it, if any special circumstances come up, like a, if you have uh, any special needs um, with your children or anything like that, you can plan for, you know, plan for them. Um, and then, you know, I would say, you know, you can put it all to bed for a while and then, you know, kids grow up and then all of a sudden, you know, you're thinking, okay, well now they're adults. And instead of worrying so much about them as, as minors, now they can start, you know, stepping up and taking <laughs> care of me. Right. <laughs> so a lot of times that happens when they become adults, you know, or maybe you have some grandchildren come into the picture and you want to change some of your things to take care of them also. Um, Hey, I mean, you know, maybe I've, I've done pet trusts, so <laughs> maybe you've got a really good dog that you want to leave something yeah. to. It's possible. It is. <laughs> there, there are some very, very expensive oh, pets out there, yeah. <laughs> both in the world of divorce and in the world of estate planning. Um, but yeah, and then, of course, unfortunately, if you get divorced, um, that is a time when you want to take a good look at your documents. Yeah. Um, certainly the power of attorney, those really things you don't really probably want your ex or the person you're in a dispute with. Yeah. yeah. Even if you haven't gotten divorced yet, yeah. you want to, you want to make sure you revoke those um, people if you have them listed because yeah. you probably don't want them making decisions for you. <laughs> probably not. Um, and then let's see what else. Um, if some huge major, you know, asset thing changes with your life, uh, like you win the lotto, uh, maybe you inherit something really major. That's a time sometimes to look at your, at your documents again to yeah. see if you need to change things for tax purposes or Exactly. And, um, and I, one of the things that um, we talked about is there's sort of the, the basic estate planning, which are the, the will and the testamentary trust and the documents that we're talking about. There's also more sophisticated estate planning. So if your right. assets are over $25 million yep. as a couple. And, and some change and, as a couple. For an individual, it's $12.92 million. Okay. So if your estate is under that amount and that includes everything so all of your assets you know your real estate your cash your bank accounts stock portfolios also even your um, payouts on life insurance okay um and things like that retirement accounts um so if all of that is under that 12.92 for for 2023 mm -hmm. um it changes kind of every year um mainly it goes up it's just like indexed for inflation. Sure. Um, but um, if you're under that amount, then you don't have to worry about being taxed. Are your estate being taxed? Your estate being taxed. But you do want to make sure that the assets are, are properly identified as beneficiaries are designated and right. so forth, because I we've seen some situations where there have been significant tax implications, even if you're under that threshold, if it's still not done correctly. Right, right. So. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah, we can get as complicated as we want to. <laughs> but, for, but generally, most people just really need a pretty simple, straightforward estate plan. It yeah. doesn't have to be scary. 
um, we can walk right through it and get it all done. And then, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a, I mean, we will revisit it sometimes, like we just said, but for the most part, it's, you know, you get it done and then you just don't have to think about it for yeah. And it really is time. peace of mind to have that done and to know that your loved ones are going to be taken care of in the event of your yeah. death. And my job is to think about all that. I mean, that's why you hire an attorney um, because, you know, they think about, you know, the future. And my job is to make it so that this is not something you have to look at a ton. Yeah. You know, yeah. we want to make it so that it lasts and it works. That's great. Um, and one final thing I'm going to touch on. And so, of course, you know, we're talking today usually to um, adults who are have jobs and families and children. Uh, but, but when we, our children, become adults, this is also a really good time to make sure you have the proper documents in place for that adult child. Oh, yeah, that, that baby 18-year-old adult. Uh-huh, and so where the school will no longer give information about their grades, and the doctors will no longer talk to you about their health care. Right. And so what are some of the things that we recommend with regard to the adult child? Um, certainly, I would say you would want to get a power of attorney um, in case you need to help them with their finances at any point. Um, a medical power of attorney, like we talked about, a directive. It's sometimes a little bit hard to talk about end-of-life decision-making to an 18-year-old because <laughs> um, they are invincible. invincible. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's a thing. I mean, if something happened, um, you know, maybe in certain, certain 18-year-olds want to think about it. And, um, and then the HIPAA authorization, and that's something that we forgot about earlier. Um, I would recommend that for everyone. Everyone knows um, when you go to the doctor, you fill out that privacy notice and the HIPAA authorization um, every time you go to the doctor. But we can do a general one that just covers you for any circumstance. So maybe you're taken to a doctor you've never been to because you've been in an accident or something. Yeah. Um, and you can, again, say in there, you know, who you want to have access to your information. And I would say every adult needs that also. Yeah. And, um, and also a lot of schools, well, and there's a, the Federal Education Act, and this is a conversation to have with your children. But if you are expecting to have access to the grades, they're going to need to fill out the FERPA form, F-E-R-P-A, which will allow the university to communicate with you about the grades. So I got to learn about that oh <laughs> as well. And um, it's important to have all those documents in place. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to take away their, you know, independence and autonomy, but, you know, you, you're still going to be helping and you're paying the bills most likely. Right. <laughs> so, well, and I, you know, the way I really approach it with my, with my adult children now is that this is an important decision that they're making as an adult. And so, you know, it wasn't here are all the forms that mom prepared. You have to sign Absolutely. it. Was, here are the legal forms and here's what they mean and really breaking it down with them and helping right. them understand. I mean, they are the client. You know? yeah. yeah, we can't just we can't do what parents want them to do. Right. I guess if they wanted to list somebody else, they could. They could. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, you know, if they want to revoke it after they, <laughs> right. they can do that, too. Yep. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to come and talk with us about this very important topic. And if you want to learn more about Mary Glenn, and her practice at Hargrave Family Law. We'd love to have you check out our website where you can read all about her and schedule an appointment to come in and get your estate planning done. You'll feel so much better when you do. So thank you. Thank you.